Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here talking about the Blue Jays system today, one of our top 10 farm systems. Joined uh, on the phone by Ben Badler, who uh, saw a lot of these guys throughout the year and authored uh, the Blue Jays chapter in this year's Baseball America Prospect Handbook, Ben put in all the reporting for the top 10, and uh, ultimately uh, this is who, after hours and hours of conversations with scouts, team officials, uh, felt like the Blue Jays' top 10 lined up. Ben, first and foremost, this is a system that has some star power at the top, uh, some obvious names we'll get to in a minute, um, but just what's your overall assessment of, of the system as a whole beyond just you know the top guy or two that most people know? I think it's a really strong system with a lot of balance to it, and that's even, you know, they graduated Lourdes Gurriel, and they graduated Ryan Barucki, and they've got, you know, obviously the the big names who are potentially going to be ready to help them in 2019, guys like Vladdy Jr., uh, Bichette, Danny Jansen, uh, Sean Reed Foley. You know, some of those guys already have obviously had some time at uh, at the major league level, but... Uh, you know, you got a, a next wave underneath them that's that's coming up with Nate Pearson, uh, Kevin Smith, and then you go all the way down to the rookie levels, both in, in the United States and guys who were in the either Dominican Summer League or guys they just signed last year, uh, you know, between Jordan Groshans uh, or Elvis Martinez, Eric Pardino, uh, Miguel Uraldo. There's You know, there's a, there's a pretty good wave of talent at, each level in the in the organization right now. Yeah, there's no question. The Blue Jays have had uh, you know a couple of lean years. They had those back-to-back ALCS appearances. Then 17 and 18 has been kind of a, a slow decline where they haven't really done anything to get better. They've let good players go and replaced them with less good ones. And we've seen those results at the major league level. Um, but there is hope in the near future, and, and that starts with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., our minor league player of the year. Ben, we've talked about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 85 million times on podcasts. Uh, you know, we know what his skills are. We know he's the best hitter in the minors. He's continuing to show up in the Arizona Fall League. What I want to focus on today is what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will mean to the Blue Jays and their fans. So the question I want to ask you is, what can they expect him to do at the major league level, both in year one and by years three and four? Yeah, I think right away he's going to be one of the best hitters in baseball. And it's really hard to say that about somebody who's 19 and is only still going to be 20 years old on opening day next year. Now, I don't expect him to be up on opening day, which is a whole other story. But, you know, I think he'll be up very soon after that. And he's just such a complete hitter already it's it's really remarkable like if you're an opposing team trying to game plan for him like i don't quite know what the plan of attack is against him whether you go up down in out like premium velocity like slider curveball like any kind of pitch 
he can hit in any part of the strike zone. And then he's also a really patient, really disciplined hitter, too, who is not going to go chasing much. He, he doesn't swing and miss much. And, and we're talking about a guy who, you know, when you don't swing and miss much and you have that kind of plate discipline and you have the power to hit the ball and the approach with, with that power to hit the ball out of any part of the park, that's, you know, there's just so few holes in his game offensively. I think he's immediately, you know, you know, kind of similar to what we saw with Juan Soto this year. I think if Vladdy had been up in the major leagues all season, you could have seen a similar performance level to what Soto did, except that I think Vladdy's going to be even better. And I think he's got a chance to right away – uh, not just hit in the middle of their lineup, but be one of the best hitters in in the game. You know, Frank Thomas is kind of the bat. We've talked about that as probably the comp that works really well. Frank Thomas, now given it's a different situation, he was a college bat, so a little more advanced, but he broke into the majors in 1990, played 60 games, hit 330 right out of the gate, his first taste of the major leagues, you know, with a 454 on base, 529. So that first stint even. He was incredible. By year two, he leads the majors in OPS and on-base percentage, hits 32 bombs, and that's really his first full season he does that. By his third and fourth full seasons, he's the MVP of the American League back-to-back years. Is that the quickness and the level we're talking about by years three and four, he'll be an MVP contender like Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I think he certainly has the talent to do it. I mean, when I watch watch uh vladdy jr he, he really reminds me a lot of uh you know manny ramirez too i mean you know different body types than both those guys were uh you know at least early in <laughs> in manny's career but um but just both guys who were just such complete hitters with power with plates of discipline who can hit every kind of pitch with with bat speed with with impact uh it, it's 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 that kind of offensive impact where all, all those guys very quickly were, were were among the best hitters in the league. And I definitely think that, you know, whether it's year one or, or year two, three, wherever it is, I think very quickly he's, he's going to be in that MVP conversation himself. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the clear number one. Um, he's been number one prospect uh, on our top 100 ever since uh, the graduations of Ronald Acuna and Shohei Otani. There's no real question about it. Uh, Bo Bichette, you know, who's been very, very highly regarded uh, for a while now, is, is where you'd think he'd be on this top 10 list. But I wanted to get into the next tier because we kind of know those are the two guys that are above and beyond. There's an interesting group of guys where you have, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, Danny Jansen who, you know, got to the big leagues, catcher, can actually hit, which in and of itself is, makes him special because very few catchers can. Uh, you have Kind of a couple guys, lower levels, Pardino and Groshans you mentioned, Nate Pearson, who, who really shows some explosive stuff and is continuing to in the Arizona Fall League. How did you kind of separate this out? Because it's a really interesting mix of, you know, four or five guys that, you know, depending on your risk tolerance for his upside, and not that any of these guys are low upside, they all have plenty, uh, but just how did you go about sussing this out? Uh, not easily. And it's... <laughs> It's it's tricky because, like you said, it's you know you have you know two guys you know like you have two guys at the very lowest levels of 
of uh, of the game. Well, I shouldn't say the very lowest, but two guys in rookie ball in Pardino and Groshans, who are, I mean, super exciting guys to me. Uh, I think both of these guys could be in our top 100 prospects list coming into the 2019 season. Pardino is, you know, uh, uh, you know just your traditional uh, super, super polished Brazilian pitcher, right? Like, <laughs> not something I would, uh, you know, you know, don't typically say, but uh, it's it's incredible. And we talk about his polish too, but he also has like really good stuff too. So that and the, the you know, he skipped two levels. They, uh, you know, we knew he was going to skip him over the Dominican Summer League. He was way too good for that. But then also skipping over the Gulf Coast League, going to the Appy League, and just totally picking apart hitters. Uh, good fastball, swing and miss, breaking stuff, uh, really smooth, really easy. Groshans going out. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop. I think more than likely third base, but uh, we'll see. But I think he can really hit, and he's got power. So two really exciting guys in the lower levels. Uh, but then you also have, like, Jansen, who <laughs> is, you know, major league ready right now, a catcher who's going to get – uh, or has at least a, a high, uh, a, a good track at the last couple of seasons of being able to hit and get on base at a, a very high clip and, and, and play at least a solid uh, defensive catcher. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really tricky to kind of <laughs> balance those two out. And, and then obviously, uh, you know, you have Kevin Smith having a, a breakout season. I think he's another guy. Uh, who's who's fits into that top 100 conversation? Sean Reed Foley, another guy like Jansen too, who's uh, who has some big league time. And when you see him on the right day, I mean, it's you know plus fastball, plus slider, uh, really put away slider to lefties, righties. Sometimes the the changeup is on, but it's it's a really inconsistent pitch. He's got to work on the command. And yeah, I mean, you talked about Pearson too, where uh, you know. He's barely pitched this year. It's one of those guys where it's like by the time we put the prospect handbook to press in December, we'll have a fuller, at least Arizona Folly to evaluate him. But when when he's healthy, it's been really, certainly really electric kind of fastball uh, flashes of secondary pitches. But it, it's not, you know, for him, I mean, obviously the main pitch is that, is that fastball and, and there's some I think just bad luck obviously involved with, you know, getting hit this season in terms of his injury. So it's different than a guy who was out for the year with Tommy John or a, uh, or a shoulder injury or, or something like that. But um, really kind of a wild card in a system where there's, there's a lot of upside, but it's really, really, really working off of limited information from his 2018 season to try to, evaluate him and, and make decisions on on him so uh, I, I think you could probably go you know certainly after Vlad and, and Bo is kind of an obvious one too but I think after that a lot of different guys who I think could be or who I think are top 100 prospect candidates and I think you could actually re- very reasonably go in a lot of different directions with those guys. I want to circle back to Jordan Groshans a little bit just because he's the guy that there's the least track record on considering he was drafted just this year he was someone that, again, talented. I think there was a little bit of a surprise he went as high as he did. But then he goes right out into the GCL, delivers on it. 
uh, had a little bit of a short stint in the Appy League. The numbers weren't great, but it's 11 games. Goes into the Appy League Championship Series, goes 3 for 4, 1 for 4, 3 for 4 with a bomb against a really good Princeton staff, uh, including Shane Boz, Matthew Libertor, Shane McClanahan. What were you hearing about Groshans just in general uh, and his debut and, and what he can be down the road? Yeah, I heard a lot of really, really exciting things about Groshans coming out of the Gulf Coast League. I, yeah, I, I think he definitely uh, bumped his stock up after going to the GCL. I mean, I don't, I don't have any stubborn it, whether it comes to international players or uh, draft picks when they come out and do better than you expect, or uh, and, and the reports are are there to match it, especially in a you know, if we're talking about 20, 30 at-bats, all right, it's not a not a real long sample size to, to be talking about. But, you know, for Groshans to, to go out and hit the way he did with wood bats against professional competition, I think that really does move the needle on how we need to be evaluating him relative to where he was, uh, you know, kind of where the consensus was on him pre-draft. And the, the reports I got on him coming out of the GCL were, Really, really good. Just a, a very advanced hitting approach for somebody who's still 18 years old. Uh, uses the whole field. Uh, he's got you know above average power too. Uh, just a, a knack for for putting the fat part of the bat on the baseball. I think it's uh, a chance. To, uh, guy's got a chance to be a above average hitter with with above average power. And, and there's certainly a, a long ways to go. There is a a higher risk in in his uh, projection compared to a, a guy like a Jansen or uh, or even a Kevin Smith, but it's uh, it's a really really exciting debut and upside for him, I think. You mentioned some of these guys that you know that that group of four, and then you get to that next group. One of the guys who moved the needle in a big way this year with some big numbers was Kevin Biggio. We talk about Bichette, we talk about Guerrero, the sons of big leaguers, and. You know, Biggio, uh, Biggio is a son of a Hall of Famer, Craig Biggio. Before this, he had never done anything like what he did this year. He did it in a park that's very friendly to left-handed hitters. How much of a sense was it in your discussions with evaluators was, okay, this is real versus it might just be an older guy in A taking advantage of, of a decent park for left-handed bats? It's... I don't think it's so much. So there, I think there are questions about how much of the performance level that he had translates going forward. But I don't think it's so much about the park because you're you're, you're right. I mean, about the the park in general. But the balls he was hitting out were going out in <laughs> any park. I think the power he has is that's that's legit power for him. Uh, and he made some swing adjustments this year to. Uh, to, to to kind of keep his barrel in, in the zone a little bit longer and, and be a little bit more direct to the ball. And, and I, I think you saw the power uh, spike this year as a result of some of the changes that he implemented in his swing. Now he's got power. He's got great patience at the plate, too. Um, drew 100 walks this year. I think it was like second or third or something like that in all of the minor leagues. So you've got, you've got power, you've got patience 
I think the biggest question is the, the swing and miss because there are still uh, a lot of holes where you can beat him in the strike zone. He, he's not going to chase a ton out of the zone, but there's a lot of swing and miss still in the strike zone, which as you go from double A to triple A and then obviously the major leagues does give some, some pause and some cause for concern about, you know, you know, if, if double A pitchers are getting them to swing and miss that much in the zone, it's not going to get any easier <laughs> as you go up to uh, the big leagues. And I, I think that's a concern. So I, I think he's always going to be a guy who's not going to hit for a very high average, but because of the patience and power that he brings, uh, I think he still has uh, skills that can, or that at least have a chance to translate at, at higher levels. He's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. Uh, you know, we talk about ISO and, and on base and stuff uh, at the major league level being better ways to measure guys than batting average. But the minor league level, there's still a lot to be said. I think batting average is more important of an indicator at the minor league level than I think people realize it is, people who focus a lot of their attention on major league baseball. So, you know, seeing as much as the power is nice, on base is nice, 252 with 148 strikeouts, double A. There, that is considerable, you know, swing and miss and, and lack of quality contact. That the track record of, of those guys being successful moving forward is not great. How much faith was there from evaluators watching him that it won't hamper him in AAA? Because you mentioned it could, but what was the sense of the pro, the odds they think it will? I don't know that. To me, I don't think like AAA is going to be or the majors, which I should like say a is huge what really matters. for him. Yeah, yeah, the majors. I mean, yeah, that's where. Yeah, that's where kind of a split can. And, and the other thing too with him is like, well, it's also like the first year he's done this, right? Right. <laughs> this is not like a guy who has an extensive track record. This was a guy who, who last year didn't make the Blue Jays top thirty, and was kind of just considered a real kind of like more like a long shot fringe type prospect. You know, they drafted him in the fifth round. It's not like he was a, uh, you know, some thirty ninth round pick or anything like that, but. He he wasn't really they weren't really looking at him as part of their future. Uh, but at this point, I, I think he's really put him into that conversation. To me, it's yeah, the he's got power, he's got patience, he's gonna have to find a way to cut down on that swing and miss in the strike zone, which is difficult. I mean, if, if you're optimistic, you can say, look, yeah, he he didn't have this is this is the first year of his performance, but. To believe it's not really fluky, I, I think you can point to some of the swing changes that he made. Or if if you're a little bit more skeptical, you can say, look, that's still a lot of strikeouts that he has that more advanced pitchers could potentially exploit. So uh, he's some. I don't have a ton of confidence <laughs> in which direction uh, I lean on on that one, but I, I do think he has. Uh, the kind of the, the secondary skills and the, the, the patience and the power to, you know, even if he is striking out a lot to potentially uh, bring enough value to be an everyday guy potentially uh, because of those skills that he has. Absolutely. On the whole, um, with the top 10, how many guys were in consideration for this? Because I feel like there's a, there's a top eight that's pretty clearly in. How many names were really in consideration to be in this top 10 overall? Yeah, you could probably go another, you know, half dozen or so guys 
in in this list, uh, especially at the the back end. I mean, you've you've got that top eight, and uh, you know, for me, really like a top nine, I would say. But then there's a whole bunch of guys who are, uh, you know, depending on. I, I think especially at the lower level, there's a lot of different interesting uh, potential breakout guys that they have between. You know, whether you're looking at Orelvis Martinez or Gabriel Moreno or uh, Leonardo Jimenez, um, you know, guys who were in the Gulf Coast League this year for them, uh, Adam Klopfenstein and Griffin Conine out of the draft, or uh, Miguel, uh, I don't know if I mentioned uh, Miguel Giraldo too, a guy coming off a really good season in the Dominican Summer League for them and got a little bit of a taste in the GCL by the uh, by the end of the year, um, you know there's there's some other guys too who I like as, as sleepers in that system. But I think there's a lot of different directions you could go, uh, which is you know good that there's a lot of different guys who have that uh, breakout potential in uh, you know in that kind of next tier of of their system. Uh, or it depends how much you believe in Anthony Alford too. I mean he had a he had a really really rough year. It didn't seem like his timing was ever right at the plate, but uh, he's still an athletic guy who has a track record of hitting in double-A. If, if you think he can rebound, uh, he's you know he's not far away. There's a lot uh, more proximity to the big leagues with him that you don't have to deal with, with the, you know, the Geraldo, Klopfenstein, or Elvis Martinez, uh, those kind of guys where you're probably going to be waiting at least, you know, three, four-plus years on him. Absolutely. You know, it's definitely an interesting system, and uh, anytime you've got you know the guys at the top, they do. Uh, there's reason for optimism in Toronto. It's been a rough couple years, but you know you hope for a bounce back. I guess I want to wrap up with that, Ben. Uh, Toronto fans obviously went a very, very long time without seeing a competitive team. Uh, they obviously won the World Series in 1992-1993, uh, then uh, struggled to make the playoffs, did not make the playoffs at all again until 2015. Back-to-back ALCSs, and then they're back in the middle-to-back of the American League East pack. When, at what point do you think enough of these guys will come up to provide the reinforcements needed to make Toronto competitive again in the playoff race? Yeah, I think it could happen within the next couple of seasons. They're going to have to supplement it, though. <laughs> it's, you know, Vladdy, if, you know, I, I think he's he's going to be an impact player very quickly. Uh, I think Bo Bichette could, could, you know, be the same. Uh, you know, Danny Jansen is, is right there. I think, uh, you know, Guriel has a chance to to really step up. Uh, you know, you've, you've got Barucki this year coming. Uh, you know, going to get a full season out of him. And you know, I, I think there are guys who are coming up who are going to help. But you're going to need a lot more, <laughs> I think, than that. Uh, whether it's through trades, free agent signings, there's there's a lot more work to be done. Uh, I think they kind of missed on an opportunity. I was really surprised with the strategy that they went with. Uh, going into the offseason last year, I thought it was time to, you know, kind of hit the rebuild or at least reset button, similar to what the, you know, the Yankees did uh, a couple of years ago to, uh, you know, to try to bring in some more talent into the organization with an eye toward 2019. You know, at this point, I, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to 
contend in 2019. Uh, I think they could in 2020, but there's going to have to be a lot of more, a lot more supplementary moves that they're going to have to make through trades, free agent signings to be able to make that a reality. Absolutely. We'll uh, we'll see what they do and what the teams around them do. And uh, you know they've got they've got a uh, a group there that that's had a taste of success. And now we'll see if they can they can build on it. And at the very least, you can say they they've got a nice little uh, group coming up that can help get them in that direction. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we encourage you all go pick up an issue of this uh, this uh, Baseball America magazine on newsstands. You'll have. Full reports on the Blue Jays' top 10. You can also access all of it at BaseballAmerica.com. Encourage you to check it out. And uh, we appreciate you listening to uh, another Baseball America Prospects podcast. For Ben Badler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.